Blog Talk Radio. Janeway sucks beard, Locus acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendy's dog, Ransom is very hot. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Bat left, Edward is an idiot, Spock is dead, Wolf is wet, Jackal's wearing red, Data's cat, Kempex that, Q is that enough of that, beat me up, make it so, everybody let's go. Oh, we talk about the series, every Thursday evening at 7.30 p.m., we talk about the series, talking live every Thursday night, we talk about the series. And welcome to Trek Talk and everybody. Happy New Year. I hope your 2021 is starting out better than 2020 was. Um, I Did you notice our new theme song? I'd like to say thank you to Eric for putting that together for us. Eric, thank you very much. I love it. You bet, man. That was a blast, and it sounded good on the air, too. I'm excited. Yeah, we, we've been saying that we wanted to rewrite that, and I finally did, and Eric recorded it for us, so thank you very much. But that's not all. We have some more new stuff coming up for you guys a little bit later. So welcome to Trek Talking. I'm your host, Uncle Jim, and with me, as usual, are my Trek experts. We'll start out with Eric. Eric's in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing really good. We are having an absolutely beautiful winter day here, nice and clear, just a little crisp and cool. Uh, just one of those days that makes you want to go outside and take a walk and breathe in the fresh air. So very nice. Having a great day. I hear that. I hear that. And we also have with us, <coughs> excuse me, Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? Oh, I'm doing good. <coughs> Weather's been a little bit above normal, <coughs> but for today, we just we got a nice little cloud bank. It was just kind of gray and dingy out there. A little chilly. So, yeah, you know, a mixed bag of weather around here. Though I hear Eric's been taking a lot of our rain away. Mm-hmm. We often do that this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's cold and dreary up here in Vermont. You know, it's winter. That's what you expect. Poor Leslie's going to get hammered with a snowstorm. So... Better her than me. I just got over on my two feet. I'm I'm happy if we don't get another flake for the rest of the winter. But, um, yeah. So we have a great show for you guys tonight. We're going to talk about the first two parts of the three-part season finale. That's right. You heard me correct. Three-part season finale. Part three is on tonight. It was on tonight. I did not watch it. Um, and I stayed off of Facebook because uh, if we're going to talk about it, I don't want to be tainted and know how it's going to end. It takes the fun out of it. So I will be watching it after the show. But we are going to be talking about part one, Sukal, and part two, uh, There is a Tide. And part three, by the way, for those, I heard a lot of people on the Internet complaining how they keep changing the titles of the episodes. Episode one of, of season three, do you guys remember what it was called? Eric, Charles? Uh- uh, episode one, yeah, that was called like uh, uh, Welcome Home. Or, no, actually, I don't remember. It was the Hope. Something about the Hope. It's called There Is a Hope Part One, and we never okay, got a part yeah. two. Yeah. Well, oh, here it is. Why? That Hope is you. Yeah. So. 
Oh, we get part two. Is we the end? get part two. Part two tonight. The episode that's Woo-hoo. on tonight oh. is called "There Is a Hill Part Two, and we'll be talking about that next week. But before we dive oh. into that, as many I of you guys like, yeah. know, mm-hmm. I looked <laughs> it up, and originally, tonight's episode was called called "Outside." So definitely, there have been yeah. some name changes from yeah. the original releases. The last three episodes of the season, all three of the titles were changed. And I heard people complaining about that and saying stuff like, well, we had a, uh, there is a whole part one, but we never got a part two. Well, now we do. But before we dive into Star Trek, guys, we, we broadcast here, as I said, I'm in Vermont. Charles is in Las Vegas. We're, we're all in the United States. And there's been some very unsettling images coming out of our state capital in regards to our election. And it's something that I feel very strong and very passionate about. And I was talking with Charles and Eric uh, before we went on the air about it. And I've been getting a lot of messages from you guys around the globe that that follow us on Facebook and on this podcast, um, comments about what's going on and they're watching and they can't believe it. And I appreciate that how many of you have reached out and, and uh, told, told me and us what you think and how you feel. And, and I agree with all of you completely. Um, I just want to say that we here at Trek Talking, we do not condone or support the actions that happened in Washington, D.C. at all. In fact, I'm so against those actions, uh, I, can't even, I can't even stress how wrong I feel they are. And I also want to point out that this has nothing to do with politics, and this is something that this country is going to have to heal, is you cannot turn every single issue into a political issue and say that it's only political and it doesn't matter because that is not true. There are certain uh, things that I think transcend politics, such as human rights, discrimination, sexism, um, persecution. Um, there's a lot of these things that have nothing to do with a political party and everything to do with what it means to be a good human being and a good American. And even beyond being an American, just being a good person. And these ideals and morals and values and ethics that we've all grown up on, that we've cut our teeth on, have been tortured and twisted and turned into a political um, point. And they are not. They are not a political point. It doesn't matter whether you're red, blue, or yellow. Um, You deserve equality. And you deserve justice, and you deserve to be treated like a human being. And it doesn't matter if you're green or yellow or tall or fat or thin, or whether you're a man or a woman or or a they or a them. It doesn't matter. It has no relevance whatsoever. You're a human being, and you deserve human rights. You deserve to be treated that way. And the things that we're seeing in Washington, D.C. right now, and the things that a lot of the American people are being force-fed is just completely against all of that. And, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Eric, did you, did yeah. you want to jump in here? Cause I'm, I'm Absolutely. rambling. <laughs> yeah, no, Jim, I, I 1000% agree with you. I mean, we, we here all on the show absolutely condemn, uh, what happened there at the Capitol yesterday. Um, that is not the way to make your voice heard. 
That's not the way to exercise your right to peaceful assembly. Um, and you know what? Four people died. And there is, that means there are now four likely families out there who are missing a person, missing a piece of their life, um, all because people just wanted to break in and, and they, I guess they feel like they made their voice known or something. I, I'm not really sure what they thought accomplished, but uh, was, was being accomplished. But, but let's just say overwhelming uh, guards uh, or maybe being let in by guards, whatever happened there, however people got into the Capitol, that's not something that's happened uh, since 1812. It's been a very long time, guys. And um, it's just, it's absolutely appalling. And I have to tell you that we all here continue to just think about the ideals that we all agree in, which are you know, equality, equity among people. Um, you know, everybody's got a right to an opinion. Uh, everybody can voice their opinion. Everybody has a right to be heard. Um, the way to make things happen is not to try and take over. Uh, and that's, I think, what was trying to be done yesterday. And thankfully, uh, here we are on the other side of it. Um, I think that we have some people in our government who are maybe starting to see the light or maybe have now been forced into seeing the light. I'm not sure. Uh, but we here all absolutely condemn those actions um, and, and don't agree with any of it. Charles, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Uh, I'm trying to think of the Star Trek episode that comes to mind of how illogical yesterday was. But when we had the two races, black and white. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised nobody remembers the episode. But yeah. How are we having so many people so alike? Still fighting, still fighting each other, and people that think it's right. Our discussion yesterday, I never thought about it, but the Capitol building is somewhat of holy ground. When you take tours to that building, I've never, I don't, if I've been through it, it was a long time ago. But they said you enter those hallways. Go to a shush. You're quiet. You respect what they're doing in that building. You treat them with respect, and people walk in there with no respect for the building, no respect for history. Destroying a building that's got so much of our country's history in it. It's definitely showing that parts of our country are going in the wrong direction, and we need to, in a few weeks, to start to heal. I agree. I agree completely. Oh, okay, Eric. I think it was something similar to that. Let us let that be your last battlefield. Yeah. Yes. This shouldn't have been the last yes. battlefield. We shouldn't have actually had a battlefield. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. So, so that being said, we just want to we yeah. just want to let you guys know that we're all okay. We don't condone it. We don't support it. We condemn it on every level. Okay. And hopefully you agree yeah, with us. We do us. condone it. Yep. We do condone it. Right. We do. So with that unpleasantness behind us, 
let's move on to why we're all here. We're all Star Trek fans. We're all part of a bigger family, a global Star Trek family. And by the way, guys, um, last week, um, yeah, we, we heard a little little something there. I don't know what it was. There was some background noise. But um, last week we had – well, not last week. We didn't have a show last week because of New Year's. The week before, we had 25,000 followers on our Facebook page. We did not have a show last week. But this week, we have 27,000 followers <laughs> on our Facebook page. So we picked up 2,000 new family members between our last show and this one. So welcome to the family, everybody. It's great to have you along. If you'd like to be part of our Facebook family, you can find us at facebook.com backslash Trek Talking and Beyond. That's Trek Talking spelled out A-N-D and Beyond spelled out. You can go there and become part of our family. We would love to have you. Now, Eric, we are a global community, so why don't we go around the globe with some of our numbers? You bet, Jim. Uh, and this week, it's uh, it's a little bit surprising. I'm almost wondering if those 2,000 new followers we picked up uh, were all from the United States because our numbers have skewed like crazy this week. So typically, we have about 75% of our listeners from the United States, 25 from uh, sources outside the United States. This week, we're up to 78% in the United States. And all of our numbers, except one for the international listeners, have dropped. So in our number one spot, but dropping from last week, uh, is uh, the UK. And guess what? That's our new number one. They have now edged out Australia, who was at the top of the list for, I don't even know, many, many weeks. Um, but the good old UK, 4.28% of our listeners on top now. Australia, something something has happened to our listeners there. They went from 5.06% of our listeners last week to only 328 of our listeners this week so perhaps uh, everyone in Australia took the week off of Trek talking and we'll expect them back next week and our number three spot guess who's creeping up guys Norway that's right Norway 2.87% of our listeners came out of nowhere a couple of months ago and now they're in the middle of the pack and our number four spot is Ireland 2.73% of our listeners that's about where they were last week but they dropped a quarter percent so Many less listeners, but same position. And finally, in our number five spot internationally, we have our brothers and sisters to the north, Canada, with 2.56% of our listeners, up just a couple of hundredths from last week. So thank you very much to all of our listeners, both uh, international and domestic. You guys are all awesome. We certainly wouldn't do it uh, without you. Well, I guess we might sit here and talk to each other, but it's much more fun when we know people are listening. Right, Jim? Absolutely, it is. And speaking of people listening, after we go around the globe, because we have so many listeners that aren't represented in our global numbers, we like to give individual fan shout-outs to our listeners and our, our, our friends on our Facebook page. We have 27,000 of them now. And every week I go and I pick 15 fans, and we give them an individual shout-out. And as I said at the top of the show, you can get an individual shout-out. All you have to do is visit our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond, and you'll see the Live Long and Prosper at the top. And just tell us where you're listening to. That's all. You know, hey, I'm from England. Hey, I'm from wherever. And uh, every week I pick some names. If you see a heart next to your name from Trek Talking, you want to tune in because you're going to get a fan shout-out. So speaking of fan shout-outs, Eric, why don't you get us started? 
You better believe it. And we always like to give special fan shout outs to our top fans. A top fan is a person who spends a lot of time commenting and interacting on our Facebook page. So we always uh, give special uh, attention to our top fans. So thank you very much to our first top fan this week, Cornelius James McAvoy from Bourneville in West Midlands, UK. Uh, One of those listeners that put the UK up in number one this week. Uh, we also have another top fan that we're saying hello and thank you so much to Andreas Vogel from Germany. So thank you, Andreas. It's great to have you along. We're also saying a special hello and thank you so much this week to Ulrich Wieskang from Germany, uh, also from uh, Halle in Germany, which is interesting. I have some friends from that area. We're also saying thank you to Barb Salmons Otten from Ohio. I'm also from the Midwest originally, so... Uh, you know, feel special connection to Ohioans there. Lucas Verfi, thank you so much for listening to us. He's from Bratislava in Slovakia. And my final fan shout out goes to Adrian Kenmiller from Cartington in the UK. Charles, who's on your list this week? All right. I got Kevin Steuben from Colorado. Top fan, James Coke from ACT Australia, or ACT Australia, however you want to pronounce it. We got top fan of Charlotte Becker from Germany. Siri Beer from Dover, England. And George Jenkins from Worcestershire, Massachusetts. Welcome all the truck talking. Jim, what about you? And bringing up the caboose here, we like to send a huge shout-out to our top fan, Chad Dermont from Green Bay, Wisconsin. We'd also like to send out a huge hello and a live long and prosper to Joseph Bills from the great state of Texas. Top fan, Jake Mobby from Florida. We'd also say, like to say kapla to Gregory Williams, top fan from Queens, New York. Represent, that's where my New York Mets are from. So let's hope that our new owner can bring us some luck and maybe we can uh, be competitive. So so uh, thanks for listening to Gregory. And last but not least, we'd like to send out a huge Trek Talking shout-out, a hello, and a thank you to Michelle Annette from Maine, USA. We couldn't do the show without you guys. Thank you so much for your support. And tune in next week for some more fan shout-outs. Hopefully you'll be one of them. And with that, it's time for our birthdays. That was not a Klingon song. No, it was not, but we like it anyways, Worf. So, we always start off our birthdays with remembering those of our Star Trek family who are no longer with us. And for that, we're going to turn over to Eric. So, Eric, who are we remembering this week? Yeah, our first remember, we have actually quite a few, so we'll move quickly through these this week. Our first remembrance goes out to Elisha Cook Jr., who played the character Samuel Cogley uh, in the TOS episode Court Martial. So, uh, yeah, remembering Elisha this week, who would have had a birthday. Also remembering this week, Charles Maxwell, who played Virgil Earp in the TS episode, Spectre of the Gun. Uh, very memorable episode and uh, character. So happy birthday to Charles Maxwell. 
Happy birthday and remembrances to Stanley Kamel, who played Kaczynski in the TNG episode where no one has gone before. Um, definitely uh, the a person that you would recognize, uh, gold shirt, uh, kind of annoying, <laughs> played a very convincing character. So happy birthday to Stanley. Uh, happy birthday to David Froman, uh, who played Canera in the TNG episode, uh, Heart of Glory. Also, happy birthday and remembrances to Vic Tabak, who played Jojo Krakow in the TOS episode, A Piece of the Action, another Western-themed episode. Also, uh, happy birthday and remembrances to Alfred Ryder, who played Professor Robert Crater in the TOS episode, The Man Trap. And finally, uh, the one that I sort of raced to because uh, I think this affected us all more recently and a lot of people still talk about this guy because he was a really special human being that uh, just died uh, not too long ago. Tonight, uh, we're remembering Aaron Eisenberg, who, of course, played the Ferengi Nog in Deep Space Nine. And uh, it was really nice, I must say, guys, to see uh, Nog get uh, a ship named after him. Uh, and I think that they, the writers of Discovery did that in honor of Aaron Eisenberg, who as I understand, was, uh, was a pretty amazing human being, touched a lot of different lives, uh, and just was an all-around good guy and, and died way too early. Yes, he did. Um, and we, we forgot, I'm gonna we get... forgot one. We, we forgot but one. Let me comment on this one. Let me comment this for truck talking. I actually got to personally talk with Eric. I actually was at Star Trek Las Vegas a few years ago and stopped at his table in the dealer's room. And he sat in the, de- he sat in the dealer's room unless he was on stage most of the time. He was in the dealer's room all day talking with fans. This man with just so much bundle of energy. I said, oh, man, I wish we could get you on to our show. He's like, we didn't even schedule it. Schedule, find a time, and I'll come on. He had no problem coming on. Just about the same time that Seven Blue was getting, and he was just so personable. Now, on stage, for a couple of years, they sat there and did the family scene on stage. He, his dad, and Lita would go on stage in costume and play the role of their characters. And just to see the energy and the fun those three of those had on stage. And one of the last things I remember of him was he had just seen the uh, What We Left Behind documentary. And he had to sit there and give his opinion about how he felt about how Nog ended up in the season 8 episode. And he showed his displeasure by showing us one of his fingers to the audience. And you knew what, what his, how he felt about how the writers had taken, how the writers had dealt with that character. But Aaron was a great person. He was a, uh, member of the Truck Talking page. He was one of our members. And 
Uh, great guy, lost way too early. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And, of course, uh, there was one more uh, on our list that I uh, inadvertently skipped over, but the last remembrance that we have this week uh, is for Jeremy Kemp. And he's kind of a special uh, remembrance also, I think. He played the character of Robert Picard, or Robert, excuse me, Robert Picard, (laughs) in TNG's family. And you might remember that Robert is actually the uh, brother of Jean-Luc, uh, his parents, I believe, uh, it was like Maurice and Yvette, I think, were the parents. And uh, Robert was kind of this very interesting character. I thought he was a nice, nice counterpoint also to Picard in that he, I remember he didn't even have a replicator in his house. Uh, he was sort of anti-technology. He had this kind of weird relationship with Jean-Luc. Uh, and then eventually they would they would kind of reconcile later. But I thought a very interesting character and uh, an accurate representation of, of the brother of John Luke might be like. Absolutely. So, oh, and, and Jim did listen, forget, guys, we have Jim to did forget something. Oh. Jim did forget something. You missed Aaron Eisenberg's played two characters in Star Trek. Do you remember the other? Oh, yeah. He played Kazon. I can't remember his name. He played a Kazon in Voyager. Yeah. In Voyager, yes. So listen, guys, for you listening at Odyssey Radio, we have to take our first commercial break of the night. Uh, For the rest of you guys, just hang out with us for a minute. We heard from Eric at the top of the show, but but right now I'm going to play for you guys a little song I like to pop in every once in a while by our very own Eric. And by the way, our phone number here is, what's our phone number, Eric? Same as always, Jim, 646-668-2433. That's right, and we have faith that you'll call. Getting from there to here, it's been a long time. But your time is finally here. You can feel the change in your thoughts right now. Nothing's in your way. And they're not gonna hold you down no more. No, they're not gonna hold you down. Cause we've got faith that you'll call. We want to hear what you have to say. We've got faith to believe in just talking today. You've got faith in your fingers. All you got to do is dial down. You can reach us right now. We've got faith. We've got faith. Faith that you call. And that was our very own Eric, the voice of Trek Talking. So, guys, if you'd like to call and talk about call or there is a tie, once again, our phone number is 646-668-2433. We are live. We are here right now, and we would love to hear from you. So, Charles, who else do we have that are still alive, that are part of our Star Trek family, that are celebrating birthdays this week? All right. Well, we've got Frank. Vegeta, who played Minister Jaro Essa in DS9's Homecoming, The Circle, and The Seed. John Ailes, who played Bruce Maddox in Picard, our second Bruce Maddox. Matt Brewer, 
played, oh boy, Berlinghoff Rasmussen from TNG's A Matter of Time. Ah, one that's definitely memorable to a lot of us. Haley, Haley Todd, who played Lau in TNG's The Offspring, which, of course, some people thought tied into Picard, though it didn't. And one I'm surprised Jim Mesa gave to me, who I haven't spoke with personally, but I have met and seen quite a bit of her around Star Trek convention. Cheryl uh, hmm. Nichols, who played you or her uh, in the TOS and movies of the TOS series. Very popular young woman who was very influential in Star Trek and the space program. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I have I have met her several times at conventions too, and she is a doll. She's my yeah. number one. Uh, I can tell if somebody's a Star Trek fan or not if I ask them what Uhura's first name is, and if they <laughs> if they can <laughs> dig that out of their pocket, then I know they're a real Star Trek fan. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a picture of her uh, that I was going to post on her birthday, but I forgot. But I will post it tomorrow for you guys because after the show, I have to watch Discovery. And then I got to go to bed because I got to get up at five o'clock for work. But tomorrow I have a picture. One of the greatest moments of her life was that we got our first black president, but that she got to vote for him and meet him. And one of his greatest uh, pleasures was meeting her because she inspired him to run for president and he inspired her. It was a mutual thing. And I'm talking about president Obama and Michelle Nichols and she got to go to the white house and meet him. And uh, there's a picture of the two of them and she's, they're both glowing. I don't know who's happier, him or her, but it had to be a great moment for Michelle Nichols being one of the first interracial kisses on television, uh, you know, forging the way, by being a black actress on television back in the 60s and forging mm-hmm. that path to make it possible for a black president and to be alive to see it. She had to be just beaming with pride. So I'll post that picture for you guys tomorrow. So look for that. And wrapping things up, bringing up the caboose with our Star Trek birthdays this week. We have Diana Ewing, who played Droxine in the TOS episode, The Cloud Minders. We also want to say happy birthday to Ann Mugginson, who played Admiral Kristen Clancy in Picard. She's the one that swore. You guys remember her, right? Sure, yeah. Lincoln Hubris. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yep. We didn't like her because she gave Picard a dressing down. But you know what? Happy birthday but to Ann. He- he deserved it, and she was the right one to deliver it. That's my opinion. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? I I don't know if this is confirmed or not, if this is canon or just fans. I'm not sure. But I've, I've read on different boards that I visit, different places I go to, that she was an ensign aboard the Enterprise D, and oh, that she served under Captain Picard. And I haven't been able to confirm if that if the character they're saying is her was really her or not, 
But apparently, apparently she was on the Enterprise D under Captain Picard, and you can see, uh, not her, not not the not the actual actress, but the character on TNG. So maybe that is true. I'm not sure. A lot of a lot of Trek boards seem to think that it is. But at any rate, happy birthday. And this, the next one is this guy that just won't stop talking. Yeah, nah, 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 nah. He just starts talking and he never shuts up. He just, <laughs> he's just a chatterbox. We'd like to say happy birthday to Mark Allen Shepard, who is our favorite, favorite, favorite barkeep at Deep Space Nine. And I'm talking about Mourn. He just never bar stops fly. talking. <laughs> just... The bar fly, yes. <laughs> Yeah, and, he, fly, and, yeah and what's amazing is that he says a thousand things by saying nothing at all. I love there's that one episode where, where Quark is sitting there having a conversation with Morn, and Morn doesn't say a word, and it helps Quark make a decision. <laughs> funny. Morn is great. And for those of you who don't know, Morn is actually from Cheers because Morn is Norm spelled backwards. And I think most Star Trek fans know that, but I just wanted to throw that out. And uh, the next one, the next birthday, I think this character's arc has been phenomenal on Star Trek Discovery. Um, I didn't think so until Bo broke his neck. When this character was killed and then came back, I think for me... Uh, that's when this character's arc really started to to take off and blossom into the incredible character uh, that he is on Discovery. And we, uh, yes, we, we he did have some great moments in uh, one of the episodes that we're going to talk about tonight. And, of course, I'm talking about Discovery's very own Dr. Hugh Culber, uh, incredible actor, incredible character. And I think it's great. One of the things I really like is that there's other doctors on Discovery, which I think is cool. Uh, but he's the chief medical officer. Happy birthday to Wilson Cruz. And if you guys have listened to the show, and you know me, I love to wave my bat lift around. I love to go to conventions dressed up as a Klingon. So I always get excited when I can say happy birthday to a fellow Klingon. And I got one this week. And uh, last but definitely not least, we want to say happy birthday to Brett Porter, who played General Stex in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Uh, for you, I don't know if his name was ever mentioned in the episode or not, but he's the one-armed Klingon. Uh, he's the Klingon that gets his arm blown off defending uh, 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 Chancellor Gorkhan, and he yeah. appears at Captain Kirk's funeral with one arm. And uh, that's General Stex, played by Brett Porter. So happy birthday. Kabla. And with that, guys, you know what time it is? It's time for, time for the we news. Have not, we haven't done Star Trek news in ages upon ages because we've been talking about the Mandalorian. But guess what? I told you guys we had a lot of new stuff. We heard, we heard a very new, very awesome theme song by Eric. Well, guess what? Not to be outdone by Eric, Charles has a contribution. And so, uh, although Charles doesn't sing, okay, but Charles put together this for us. This is going to be our new, new news intro. If I can get it to play. Come on, there we go. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. 
Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. And with that, that was awesome. Star Trek news. So, good job, you have a Charles. New news intro. Yeah, what do you think? You. you like it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's better than the that we had for a while. <laughs> so, this is our new format. We have a new theme song and we have a new news song, and we've got some other new stuff coming for you guys in the future. So, hang in there. So now we're back on Star Trek news, and if you guys are wondering. Well, uh, we post a lot of articles on our Facebook page, and I'll pick some of the ones that I think are, are the biggest, the hottest ones, and we'll highlight them. We don't read the whole article, but we will tell you the title, and if you're interested in more information on that particular story, you can go to our Facebook page and read the article in its entirety instead of just the parts that I pulled out of it. So I'm going to start us off with an article uh, entitled, Scotty Was Beamed Up. Star Trek actor James Doohan's ashes were smuggled on board the International Space Station after his death in 2005. Entrepreneur Richard Garrett smuggled Mr. Dewan's ashes onto the International Space Station in 2008 during a 12-day mission as a private astronaut. He was contacted by Mr. Dewan's son, Chris, days before he launched to the ISS on a Russian Soyuz capsule on a $3 million trip. Mr. Garrett agreed to take the ashes up after Mr. Dewan's wishes to have his ashes sent up were dashed in 2008 and 2009. He took a card with a picture of Mr. Dewan and some of his ashes laminated and tucked them under the cladding on the floor of the space station Columbus module. Mr. Garrett told the Times it is completely clandestine. His family was pleased that his ashes made it up there, but were disappointed we couldn't get to talk about it publicly. Now enough time has passed that we can. James Dewan got his final resting place among the stars. I think that's a great story, and um, it's old news by now, but I just wanted to share that with you guys. And you can read the entire article on our Facebook page. So that's pretty cool. And uh, for those of you who don't know, my friend Mark Lee is involved with um, um, uh, Clan – oh, what's the name of that? Clan – I can't remember the name uh, right now, but Mark's involved with a company that will take people's remains into space. And uh, they took uh, Jimmy Dewan's, some of his ashes, into space legally um, not too long ago. And Mark was there to witness that launching along with Wendy, um, Jimmy's wife. So that was pretty cool. So, Charles, what, what do we have to talk about next? Well, Jerry Ryan confirmed new, the new Star Trek Picard season two production start date. The first season, the first season finale of Star Trek Picard streamed in streamed in March, and the show was originally set up to go back into production for season two over the summer. But as the pandemic got in the, in the way of that, Picard's second season was planned for January of this month, of this year. It appears the plans have been a little bit delayed. Actress Jerry responded respond to a fan on Twitter revealing a new search rate of February 1st. Unlike Star Trek Discovery, which began its production in November, 
starts this retarded film in Southern California and is dealing with the new surge in COVID cases. And I know that date there is still considered pending, waiting to see if uh, Los Angeles is actually going to open up. As of right now, Los Angeles is still very locked down. Yes, and uh, Leslie Hoffman posted an article on our Facebook page about an agreement between the Screen Actors Guild and Hollywood, and we're not really sure when we may see Star Trek Picard go into production, which is sad. Um, But you know what? Let's not dwell on the negative. Vaccines are on the way. Uh, People are already getting vaccinated. And I know here in Vermont, uh, we're hoping that we can, the whole, everybody in the state can be vaccinated by the end of next month. So let's hope that it goes that way out in Southern California and maybe they can get started on filming sooner than later. Let's, let's all hope and, and pray for the best. And Eric, what is our final, our final Star Trek news story for the night? Well, tonight leads, uh, or my article leads us right into another topic we're going to talk about tonight. Discovery finally joins a Star Trek episode tradition. It took three seasons for Star Trek Discovery to have its own holodeck episode, but Saru, Burnham, and Culber found themselves in a literal nightmare. With Sukal, the 11th episode of season three, Star Trek Discovery finally joins in on a Star Trek tradition, its own holodeck episode, but with an unusual twist. Sukal finally solved the mystery of who and what causes the burn. Spoiler alert! It turns out the unwitting culprit was Sukal, a Kelpian living in an elaborate holodeck simulation aboard a research vessel that crashed within the radioactive Verubin Nebula 125 years ago. One of the fascinating aspects of Sukal was seeing Burnham, Saru, and Culber cope with being inside a holodeck, which is a new experience for all of them. Although it hasn't been stated in an episode yet, the starship was retrofitted with 32nd century technology. The recommissioned USS Discovery A now has also a holodeck of their own. That's, of course, not where they are, but it does have one. This was confirmed in the canonical log entry by Commander Jet Reno. So I personally love holodeck episodes. I have a lot of really, really good memories of holodeck episodes particularly the Captain Proton ones from Voyager. I hold very close to my heart. And uh, Janeway as Queen Arachnia, uh, those always kind of get me going. I love those. Do you guys have any other favorite holodeck episodes you can think of that you really like? Oh, yeah. We got Data. Yeah. Data has Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And Moriarty, oh, two of my favorite holodeck episodes of those two. Oh, and the Binar. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a good one. With yeah, I, I kind of like uh, I kind of like a fistful of datas myself. <laughs> that's a yeah. good one too. With with or the cowboys, Picard, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, Picard as. Um, Oh, I can't think. Uh, Dixon Hill. Uh, Hill. Dixon, yeah. Dixon Hill. And, and you know what? I think that um, now we've actually, guys, we've been so lucky because we've had, tw- think about this for a second, 23 consecutive weeks with brand new Star Trek on every week. Think about that. It's been a phenomenal <laughs> run for us. 
Not only that, you forgot about the other historical moment. The 800 episode last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is yep. a lot of television. Whenever I tell people yeah, uh, how much Star Trek there is, they are, I think they kind of know, but they when you say 800 episodes, they kind of go, whoa, that's intense. It is. It's a, that's why it's such a cultural phenomenon. Well, and, when you, know you think what? about that, the only shows that compete with 800 episodes would be maybe Doctor Who, soap operas, and game shows. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nobody else gets. No, and and since next week will be our last uh, podcast with new Star Trek. I don't know how long. We might have to wait 23 more weeks before we see anything new. I, I don't know when we're going to have anything new, but we're going to fill the time with all kinds of fun stuff. And one of the things we're going to do is something that we they used to do on season one of Discovery, and they stopped doing it, and that's called Cadet Training. And that's where we go back and we talk about some of the episodes that relate to this week's episode of Discovery. Now, in this particular case, we're talking about holodecks. So we're definitely going to go back and talk about some of our favorite holodeck episodes and how they related to Star Trek Discovery. Also, let's not forget about the Guardian of Forever. And we're going to talk about the uh, Guardian episodes as well. So we have some stuff coming up. So even though there's not going to be any new Star Trek, we'll still be here. And we'll still be Trek talking. And with that, guys, i got to give you guys a warning. Black alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. It- That's right. Of course, it's three weeks old, so I, I, if you haven't seen this episode, then go watch it now. <laughs> what are you waiting for? <laughs> Pause the podcast. <laughs> you know, I, I know that we're live and, and whatnot, but at any rate... <laughs> So what we'd like to do is we're really fan-orientated. We do have a phone number, 646-668-2433, so you can call us live. We have a Facebook page, and fan interaction is very, very important to us here because we're fans just like you. So we do our fan shout-outs. We go around the globe, but we also give you guys a chance to be heard. And we post on our Facebook page. We ask you each week, on a score 1 to 10, with 10 being the best, what would you score this episode? And we're going to start off with Sukal. And, Eric, what do your fans have to say about Episode 11, Sukal? So, yeah, just for Episode 11 top fan, Josh Handelsman says a 6.5. Ron Westrip says a 4. Martin Mulvaney says 2. Bad episode. Nicholas Herrera says 1. And Devoren Kramek says solid 5. Pretty average and a bit Boring. Thank you, Charles. Well, I think my side liked it a little more. Hot fan Fran Taylor gave it 9.5. Robert Maddox, 10 on your score, 12 on mine. Andrew H. to see Carmen de Kenya Eric. Sorry about the names on that. All three of you gave it a nine. Jim, what about your group? Yeah, mine is a little bit all over the place, too. Uh, uh, Hayden Richards gave it a seven. Jim Stoffel gave it an 8.5. 
Uh, C.J. Keenan gave it a five. Sean Hinckley gave it a two. And top fan Rolando Manuel B. Al gave it a six. So interesting. Interesting. Um, what's our our fan score here, Charles? Our fan score isn't surprising, but it is the lowest-ranking episode so far this season at a 6.7. 6.7. So definitely not a fan and one that the fan really enjoys. No. And, and so we're going to talk about it. Again, spoiler alert. Uh, before we do, though, there's a couple of clips I want to play and some topics I want to discuss. The first one that we're going to talk about is the burn. And we finally find out in this episode what caused the burn. And here it is. I'm in the nebula. Look. Whatever just happened down there, you can't let it happen again. It nearly caused another burn. So cold. He caused the burn. How? Bodies adapt. All this dilithium and subspace radiation. His cells acclimatized to it in utero as they divided. But he was only a child. Then something must have happened to trigger him. I have to pull you all out now. I'm in a, I'm in a stable pocket, but it won't be stable for long. Meet me at the rendezvous point. Osiris here! Osiris. Michael, I must ask the impossible. I need you to stay. Captain. If we leave Sutton alone, it is only a matter of time before the burn happens again. With your xenoanthropological skills. What? But it has to be you. I am the captain. He responded to you when you sang, You have a connection with him. Oh, Syrah is here. My responsibility is to discover you and her crew. I will not allow my emotions to factor into my decisions. Throne. You already have. Whatever till we meet, I will be there for her. I'm staying. You. Dr. Culver, I know what it's like to be all alone in a world that doesn't make sense, Captain. No one should experience that. Not you and not Sukal. You tell Paul I love him. I'm here. Where are you? I'll come back for both of you. If more than a day goes by, there's no point. So we now know the cause of the burn, and uh, yeah, I, this is a big. Uh, a lot of fans didn't like this, and I think a lot of fans scored this episode so low because they thought the burn was caused by something other than what we than 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 a, a baby kelpian stuck in a nebula. So, what did you guys think about the burn? What did you think, Eric? Were you were you satisfied with that explanation or not? Uh, I would say, Jim, that I was 100% unsatisfied by that explanation. Um, there was a lot I just didn't like about this episode, and this scene that you picked out, uh, I think, was probably my number one problem with the episode. Um, I was super disappointed that the burn wasn't caught, that it, it comes down to kind of the emotions of one Kelpian inside a nebula, um, hell, I was hoping for something much more epic or something that tied back to previous Star Trek canon, 
some, there are so many good directions that they could have taken the burn. Um, and, you know, part of it is just the, like, the inconsistencies and the kind of lack of any, any, I mean, I, I certainly don't want Star Trek to be scientific all the time, but the lack of any scientific rigor, I mean, all along the way, this entire season, we've had explained to us that the burn basically happened all at once, right? It happened like a, not not really completely all at once, but it, did, it had an origin, but it all happened very, very quickly. We're talking about across huge sections of the galaxy in like microseconds. And actually in this episode, the scene that you just played where he has kind of a little mini tantrum that almost causes another burn, we see it travel outward from him as a shockwave. And it's fairly slow. It's slow enough that the Discovery is actually able to compensate for it. They don't blow up all of their dilithium. You know, Stamets spends a lot of time kind of saying, I got to draw all the power from here to deactivate the flush the chamber and, you know, deactivate all the dilithium and all this kind of stuff. So it was completely inconsistent with the way that they've set up how the burn actually occurred. And then the actual cause for it is like the emotions of this one guy on a planet that now Saru is responsible for keeping calm by singing him Kelpian lullabies. Otherwise he'll, he'll cause another burn. Uh, man. Ah, this scene's a dumpster fire as far as I'm concerned. I'm sorry, I can't say anything better about it. Charles, what do you think? That's cool. <laughs> well, I enjoyed what, I enjoyed myself in the episode, but one of the first things that caught me in this episode and just gave a double take and just thoroughly enjoyed was when they beamed down to the planet and appeared on the ship. And all of a sudden, Michael's going through a slight transformation change. Colder's going into a slight transformation change. Saru is human. But Chubb, without makeup. And I love this comment on Ready Room, the fact that, oh, yeah, he could take a break from four hours in the makeup chair. And Colbert and Michael had to go on in the chair to go through their makeup changes. I thought, wow, I love that. Scenes were a little disjointed, but if you think about it, it made a lot of sense. As it was a big computer program trying to deal with taking care of this one person. And the computer was looking forward. The computer wanted him rescued. The computer wanted him saved. But we're in the middle of a nebula we don't understand. And I think it's true to the fact that we don't understand it, and they're trying to give us something happened in this nebula. We don't know completely what we think. The child created it. But how was it formed in the first place? I think I want more backstory before I sit there and throw it out completely. I do like and I on, think it's an interesting story. Go ahead, Jim. And, and on that note, guys, we have to take, oh, we got to take another commercial break. So we'll be right back. If I can get this thing, there we go. We'll be right back right after this message. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. 
centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont. The Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team's Hero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing ship-to-ship tactical combat for the tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back, and uh, we're talking about the burn and the episode Sukal. So, Charles, what were you saying about the backstory of Sukal? Um, I think we're going to get a little more detail of what's going on tonight. I think the fact is we spent so much time dealing with the Emerald Chain in the next episode that we didn't. We only got a partial story on this. And I wonder if there may be more story to this than we realize. So I'm going to give it a little more weight to see to what happens. If it's going to be solved this year, we're going to get a little more detail next year. But definitely I'm going to wait and see before I get a little more, a little more of the same ever Eric's at. But that's just me. Well, How about you? Uh, I was a huge, huge fan of Game of Thrones. And I, to me, that final episode, I was watching Game of Thrones for years and years and years, and we get to the end, and I was like, what the hell did I just watch? What, what just happened? And, uh, you know, you build up, you build up, you build up, you build up, and you get to the end, and it's just like, you know, a little firecracker. And you're like, wait a minute, th- th- what? And you're, you're left scratching your head. Um, and I understand how a lot of fans can, can feel that way. Because they they built this up and it was such a pivotal event in the history of not only the Federation but but everything and we don't know yet I mean did it affect the Klingons did it affect the Romulans I mean how far did it affect the Mycelial Network too I mean I, we don't know how 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 far it went we we just we just don't know all we know is it affected the Federation so we don't know but for me. I, I didn't have a problem with the way it was explained that Sukal was born amongst this this radioactive swill in this nebula and that he's connected to the dilithium because they did say that this, this planet is pure dilithium. And the last time that we ran into somebody who could communicate or who was tied in to the, the, the dilithium actually was Sukala Pala Wala Wala Mami Kami there. What, whatever the, her name her what her name was there, um, Poe, and she lived on a planet where oh. they considered the planet her sister, and Poe was connected to the dilithium and was able to create this dilithium recrystallization chamber type of thing, which nobody else was able to. So they're able to communicate and 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 be at one with dilithium. Then a radioactive planet made of pure dilithium inside a planet with a pregnant. Kelpian, yeah, I, 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 I buy that. I mean, this is Star Trek. We, 
We bought the fact that Spock was able to be shot out of a photon tube, crash land on a planet, and age backwards. We didn't have a problem accepting that. So I don't have a problem with, with them saying that Sukal somehow became emotionally connected to the lithium um, because it's part of his DNA. And, you know, it is what it is. Here's a question for you. Are those two planets connected? You know, they they, they very well could be because yeah. they've never gotten back. They've never revisited Poe or her planet since we left them in the past. She helped the discovery go to the future, but we never revisited the, the, the planet again. So we don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't really bothered by the fact that it was Sukal and I, I'm I'm kind of with, with Charles I want to know more about him what's the situation with him what what was it that caused him to be so scared that that he that, that his emotions just exploded like that and caused all this dilithium to go inert I, I want to know more about it but I it didn't bother me all that much and well it's the monster we, right? it's like that's the story, and we'll, I presume we're going to talk about the monster in a little bit. But that's what he's so scared of. It's the monster. And and, and oh, also, Kelpians, Kelpians don't live to old age. Oh my God. Dude, there are so many <laughs> inconsistencies in this. Not only do they have an elder Kelpian, but this whole idea that the story of the monster was told to Kelpian children because. Um, because that to be truly free, they have to face their deepest fear. That's absolutely antithetical to everything we know about Kelpians. Everything we know about Kelpians is that they're a docile race that hangs out and waits to get chowed down on by the Ba'ul, right? It's completely inconsistent with everything we've been taught about Kelpians. That doesn't fit at all. That's original history. That's their original well, history. That, how their history change after? No, no, no. This is what Saru says. But this is what, but this is what Saru says about the story. Presumably, the story was told when he was a child too, and that's how he knows about it, right? He goes to the elder, and he's like, "Well, there's not very many elders, but here's this one, and this story is told to all the children to say that they have to face their fears to be truly free." Which is, that's not, like, I don't think of Kelpian children as revolutionaries. We had an entire storyline about that. <laughs> like, Saru's the one who left. Yeah, and they, they did, they did um, learn how to fly fighters and spaceships and come to the aid of the Discovery sure, and Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, so, so they did... Um, I mean, it turns out that, you know, Saru being the first one to go through the Harai and kind of bring that to his culture, yes, the culture, Kelpian culture changed after that. But Saru's reference is is about this story being around and being told to all Kelpian children in the beginning. And that's, that doesn't fit. Just doesn't fit at all. I mean, are we... That's the reason I get so passionate about it, because it just is like... How am I supposed to believe this story if everything they're telling me is completely inconsistent with what they've told me before? Ah! Well, we we went through the same exact thing when we saw uh, the episode uh, "Look to the Stars," where we saw uh, his home world. A lot of fans were saying that, and I think we've said it on the show too. Uh, the way Saru describes his home planet and 
you know, that there are two races and whatnot. And then we, we see them standing around mining kelp didn't line up with what we were told about kelpians before we saw that episode. So I uh-huh. guess what it comes down to is um, do we want to base everything that we know about the entire kelpian race on the, the, the dozen or so kelpians that we saw in that one, one village? Or are there more Kelpians on the planet besides that? Are different races, different religions, different beliefs than just that one, I guess, is what it comes down to. Because um, as, as far as me for Klingons, one of the, you guys know that one of the biggest debates was, how, you know, Discovery sucks because they changed the Klingons. And they look like orcs, and Klingons don't look that way. We went around and around and around and around that thing. And I'm like, hey, who said that every single Klingon looks like Worf. So, um, you know, anyways. So Charles kind of kind of stole my thunder a little bit. I wanted to talk about this next thing. Um, Doug Jones. Your drill. What the hell is going on? Where's Saru? Saru? My heel is touching the ground. You're human. What is happening? So one of the biggest things about the episode was that Doug Jones got to act like Saru without being in makeup. And a lot of people didn't realize that that actually was Doug Jones. That really was Saru. But Doug Jones had to be Saru as a human instead of Saru as a Kelpian, which I thought was an interesting twist on the character. And he says on um, the Ready Room that it was a challenge for him to infuse Saru into himself because when he puts the makeup on, Saru comes to life. And to be Saru without the makeup, is, it was a challenge for him. So I just wanted to see what you guys thought about seeing Doug Jones as Saru out of makeup. And I, we already heard from Charles. What did you think about Saru out of makeup, Eric? Uh, I thought it was really cool, yeah. I mean, I, I'm i not sure if it's the first time he's been in kind of a major thing out of makeup. I feel like he's so well-known for all the different parts he's played. Um, and so I thought it was really special to see him out of makeup. So I, I absolutely liked that part of it. I thought it gave him a special opportunity. And I, it, it was interesting because I did, as he was speaking as a human, my, in my mind's eye, I kind of imagined him in the makeup and tried to, you know, track whether or not he's being Saru enough, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> without the makeup yeah. on. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was really cool. I'm very puzzled as to why everybody's race was changed uh, when they went into this holodeck thing. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but it was nice to kind of see him out of makeup. Yeah, I thought I that think, was cool. Eric, what happened, I think what happened was that Kyle were to see another Kelpian that might have even scared him. He's also looking at He's not used to seeing other. He's used to used to seeing specific races in the system and specific groups of people in the system. 
And I think that was their goal there was they didn't want to scare him, so they gave them new personalities in him, took him out of uniform and gave him specific personalities so they didn't interfere with the program pre-running. Did you guys notice what was flying around in the sky? Well, I noticed that it looked like something, and then I had to kind of double-check because, to me, it looked like one of those flower things from Picard. Yeah, I, I thought that, too, but it actually wasn't. It was actually was it? a Gorgamander. It was a oh, Gorgamander. Was okay. okay. Remember the, 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 the giant whale. space whale that Harry Mudd lives inside of to take over the Discovery? Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, it was it was a Gorgamander, which I thought was pretty cool that they that they put that in there. I thought that was you cool. know I I did like that scene you know that's sort of that flyover scene that you're talking about and the coolest part of that to me I mean the, the creature was cool but I liked those floating bridges that were kind of going between the two points there that uh, Saru and Culver were gonna ride on I thought those things were super cool because the whole idea of this holodeck program uh, is that it is being affected by the space radiation from the nebula, right? So it's kind of breaking down. So different parts of this program are in various states of decomposition and stuff. So it was cool to see, you know, here's supposed to be these bridge between these two places, but it's, it's just little pieces uh, that are moving back and forth. Yeah. It reminded me of Spectre, Spectre of a gun episode of POF. It kind of reminded yes, me of Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it reminded me of that. It also was a little bit like, um, you know, some of the stuff in Thor having to do with the space bridge and kind of how that all kind of comes to one point. So, yeah, that was cool. So one of the scenes that I really liked about this particular episode was, was a scene that I'm going to play for you guys right now, and um, I'm just going to call it Captain Tilly. We're gonna um, we're gonna jump in like ten minutes. Come sit before things get crazy. Oh, things are already crazy. Fair enough. I know it's a lot. Taking the con. First time Giorgio left me in charge. I don't think I took a deep breath the entire five hours and thirty-seven minutes she was gone. <laughs> well, you know, it's like my grandma Adele always used to say: um, until you've flown a starship into a flaming nebula and gotten everyone out alive, you haven't lived. So, shouldn't really say that. <laughs> right. Listen, there is a metal burr under the left armrest of the captain's chair. We had one in the same place on the Shenzhou. Construction glitch at the San Francisco Fleet Yards. Whenever Giorgio got into a tricky situation, she felt like all the different choices were mind-numbing. She would press on it with her thumb. Kind of stay in the moment, you know. And the first time she made me acting captain, when I sat down, I immediately felt for it. But all that was there was this little shiny spot where she had rubbed that fur into a dent. And I've seen Saru touch the one here on Discovery. So, fur, dent, shiny spot, whatever. belong in that chair, do we? 
Thank you. Even I have those radiation levels, okay? I need y'all to come back in one piece. I got this. Oh. Ensign Tilly, please report to the bridge. <laughs> okay. Here we go. One of the things I loved about that particular clip is if you read the book, if you read the Tilly book, she makes a reference to her grandmother. And if you read the book, you know how important and how influential she was in Tilly's life. And to hear her actually mention her on an episode, I was like, wow, that's so cool. Because <laughs> I love uh-huh. the Tilly book. And I really like, I really like the scene there, the, the, the mentoring between Michael and Tilly. I thought it was, it was really well done. And the, the, the nub we actually there's a scene later on we're not going to get to where she you actually see her and she reaches underneath the chair and she finds that nub and i just i really just like the way the way michael was talking about giorgio and the sinjo and and you know encouraging tilly and giving her the the um a talking to and some confidence i, I really like that scene that's why i picked it yeah i think it was a really good one jim and i I think one of the reasons that it's so kind of powerful and effective is that I think when somebody reaches that level of achievement for the first time, they can feel kind of intimidated by it. And especially if it's somebody like Tilly who has grown up constantly with self-doubt, you know, we learn a lot about that in the book, as you were saying, the Canon adjacent book that we all read, but, but Tilly is not the most confident person when you kind of get underneath it all. And what Michael did there was she, she knows that about her friend, and she found a way to help connect Tilly to all of the other captains out there in Starfleet who have, you know, in this case, felt that same nub on their, <laughs> on their command chair. And psychologically, what that does is it helps ground Tilly, and it helps give her the confidence that she needs in herself to know that she knows she's not alone other captains in Starfleet have gone through these things. Other captains in Starfleet have felt um, less than completely confident about their own abilities. And yet she was put there for a reason. And so it's time to, to execute. So I, I totally love this scene as well. It was a really good one. Yeah, I, I liked it. And, and uh, there were some yeah. other clips I wanted to play, but we, uh, we're not going to have time. So uh, I just wanted to say there was another clip I was going to play that I just entitled Red. And that's the scene where Osiris refers to Tilly as red and tells her something like yourself, you're not confident and you're, you're blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. demeaning her. And she turns around and says, well, you just proved that human psychology is intergalactic because that's how you really feel about yourself. And she kind of turns the tables on Osira, which I thought was a great scene. And it showed yeah. Tilly, you know, there. And I also had another scene. Uh, uh, that I call black alert when, when Tilly orders the ship to jump and the ship can't jump because Osira beamed aboard and has her goons there. Now I, I did have a little bit of a problem with, with that. And because the one, the thing that I thought about in that particular case was, wait a second, how did Osira beam through the shields of the discovery? How did she get all of her people on the ship? Because I remember a scene in Star Trek V, if you try to fire an unauthorized phaser on a starship type of thing, and here's Osira beaming all these people with weapons onto the ship. And I was like, what? 
And I yeah. also wasn't aware that, that anybody could go into the spore chamber while Stamets was in there. I, I thought there was well, the, 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 it wasn't the, the, the thing. He was, yeah. Well, it wasn't activated when they, when he was in there. Well, he did. There's nobody else in the chamber when the, the ship jumps supposedly, but there's somebody in there talking to him and stuff beforehand. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I was like, all right. I mean, as far as, as far as Tilly losing the ship uh, because she's incompetent and whatnot, um, that's, I didn't see it that way at all. I mean, uh, Osira obviously had Federation codes because they sent a false a prefix code to the discovery. Um, so, you know, just like what happened to Kirk, Kirk did the same thing in the Rat the Khan. If it wasn't, uh, you know, if it wasn't for Savick bugging the crap out of them, he, was, he wasn't even going to raise the shields at all and allow Khan to blow the crap out of the Enterprise. You know, and that was a much worse situation. So, you know, even seasoned captains can have things like that happen. I just think that the cards were just all in Osiris' pocket at that particular time. I mean, I who could have ha- known that Osiris had a giant space spider that was going to yeah. reach out with tentacles and wrap around the ship? Who could have ever even guessed that? Um, so, but, uh, oh, yeah. you know. Uh, go ahead, Charles. I was going to say, to answer Jim's question about the shield. Yeah. We've had them come aboard on ship with acid shield. Let's put it this way. Remembering, we're not dealing with 24th century transporters. We're dealing with, what, 32nd era transporters. And the self-transporter, unless you put a transporter lock in place, you can actually go through shields now. You notice the case where oh, you I... put a transporter lock on the discovery, and therefore people couldn't beam off. But just plain shields do not block people from entering and exiting the ship now. Well, that's interesting, because that was different from what I thought you were going to say, Charles. I thought you were going to say that what happened was the whole reason that they decloaked was Stamets said that he had to draw all the power from all the other systems because otherwise the dilithium was going to overload because of Junior's little tantrum that he threw. And so when the, I assumed that when the Discovery and Osiris ship both decloaked, they also both had no shields because I don't think they say shields are up after they decloak. They talk about how shields well, are the over, is, so was, shields are in. Are the shields connected to dilithium? Um, well, um, that's a good question. Listen, we'll we got to take after the commercial break. Commercial break here, guys. But but we're, we're we're talking about something else that I wanted to bring up. So I'm going to leave you guys with this little with this little uh, soundbite, which I'm just entitled "Cloak." because I think it's very relevant to what we're talking about and the state of the Federation as well. And then when we come back, we're going to finish our conversation and we're going to dive into the episode. There is a tide. So don't touch your dial. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Unknown vessel will be in range in two minutes. Why didn't we notice its signature when we jumped in? Could be interference from the nebula. Is there any M-class planets within five light years of this location? None, Captain. I'd have set a course for a new home ages ago. Me too. 
Oh, oh, scan again, but this time don't scan the ship. Scan the area around the ship. Neutrino emissions around the ship are off the charts. They make no sense. That's because that's not a Federation ship. We have a spore drive, and we're right next to a dilithium planet. There's only one person who wants both of those things enough to come all the way out here. Red alert! Shields up! Osiris coming in west side. Ready photon torpedoes. How the hell did she even get here? There's a transwarp tunnel on the courier maps. You know, only their right mind would actually use it. Should we jump away? We can't jump away. We have to stay near the planet to protect the away team. She's scanning us. We had the ability to close this the retrofit, right? Yes, but we can't jump off boats. If anything happens, one crisis at a time. Do it. And with that scene, okay. the USS Discovery cloaks, and we'll be right back to discuss the cloak and give our scores of this episode right after we hear this very important message from our very own GM, Chris. Don't touch that dial. This is Chris from Trek Talking and Beyond, here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction-themed podcast on the Internet. Our elite team of Trek experts are here to discuss Star Trek and other sci-fi-related content, and we want to hear from you. Dial 646-668-2433. On Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. on East Coast Time, hailing frequencies are always open and will get you on the air to share your opinions. We have faith. You will call. And we're back. We're talking about Sukal and the Discovery Cloaking. So obviously, the Treaty of Algeron is null and void, and obviously, all Federation starships can cloak now. That's a huge change in Federation policies from the past. What do you think that says about the new state of the Federation, if anything at all? Well, it seems like this technology is flying all over the place, you know, because you've got, uh, I mean, Book's ship can cloak uh, and Osiris' ship can cloak. So it feels like, it feels like that's just kind of like you, you have shields, you have phasers, and you have a cloak. Like everybody's got one these days. So... I don't know. I like it. I think it's cool. Uh, it would be interesting to know if the rules are different now than they used to be, like what we were just talking about, beaming through shields and whatnot. You know, like, do you still have to drop your shields to be in cloak, uh, et cetera? Uh, so, yeah, I think it's cool. How about you, Charles? What do you think? Federation ships can cloak now. Okay. Remind me of the detail. Which reg- Which it was a oh meow excuse me. It was there was a there was an agreement made that the Federation would not use cloaking devices. That they got special permission for the defiant for the de- for defiant. the defiant from the Romulans. Yes. So okay, that was that answers my question there. That contract was with the Romulans. At that time, what happened with the Romulans? Well, they the Romulans the lost their planet. The, the Romulans lost their planet and eventually moved on to Vulcan. I wonder if sometime after Picard, that maybe that agreement had changed 
and the Federation had access to cloaking ability. But I wonder if there was a time of change somewhere after Picard where they had access to cloaking technology legitimately and now cloaks a little more readily common. I yeah, think it's interesting. But it's it definitely, is interesting, I think it's a time era that we've lost a lot of contracts like that, that uh, cloaks are a little more common. Well, and don't forget, and don't forget, it's not the first time we've seen um, not just the Defiant, but there was that episode. Um, it was Q. Uh, it was like that anti-time future where the Federation um, had cloaking technology, and you know the Romulans had been conquered by the Klingons, and um, that was in all good things. I don't know if you guys remember that, uh, but. So it's not the first time we've seen a decloaking Federation vessel, <laughs> you know. I, I, I believe, I, I think, Eric, that that's only the fourth time we've ever seen a Federation ship cloak on Star Trek. The Enterprise did it in the Enterprise incident. The Defiant, mm-hmm. which, had in, which had permission to do it on Deep Space Nine. The Enterprise D phased through an asteroid in, mm-hmm. um, on, in, on TNG. Yeah. With that phase cloaking thing, I'm a jigger bobber, and of course we saw the Discovery uh, cloak. So I believe that's only the fourth time in Star Trek history that a Federation ship. Well, we did see the Enterprise D cloak in All Good Things, but that was an alternate universe, so right. five times. Yeah. So overall, yeah. let's start off, Eric. Overall, what would you give this episode on a on a scale of one to ten? Oh, sorry, guys. I'm probably going to be the low one in this one. Um, I can give it about a five, but not much more. Five? What about yep. you, Charles? Uh, I agree there's a few little flaws in it. I'll go about 7.5. Yeah, I think, I think I'm going to be right around there with you. I think I'm going to go right around a seven, I think. Um, yeah, so that, that's that. So, so now we're going to talk about There is a Tide, which is the second episode of the three, directed by Jonathan Frakes, the man, the myth, the legend himself. And I think we're going to see a little bit of difference here. So, Eric, what do your fans have to say? Uh, let me see. This My first top fan, Brendan C. Marcy, says, Five at best, only because I love Star Trek. The writing is really bad. The characters are annoying and the pace is terrible. The only scene is that heartfelt... Uh, one where Stamets begs Michael to save his family. The rest is crap. Horrible storytelling. Uh, however, top fan Cornelius James McAvoy says 10 out of 10. Loved the episode. Another top fan, Julian Jenkins, says 9.5. Great episode. Michael going full on John McLean. Complete. With losing her shoes. Brilliant. <laughs> Definitely noticed that. Hayden Richards says 10 exclamation point. Amazing. I've literally watched it twice back to back. Top fan Ifa Loju Baba Ajiba says nine. Loved it. And Charles, what do your folks say? I got Marina Comder gave it a 10. Expected scene with Samet broke my heart. Julian Phillips gave it an eight. Brianna Arisso also gave an eight. Very solid. Christopher Morgan, seven. 
would would be closer to a nine if Philly had done something to earn her trust and respect the first officer a first officer should have. And Santa Hall Hawes gave it a nine. Jim, how about your group? So uh, Leah McCollum said a solid nine strikes strikes again. Uh, Carmen Delito gives it a nine plus. Alan Baudois gives it a nine point five. Chad William Crandall says it's a solid nine, and John O'Neill Wolf gives it a nine. So from the last episode to this episode is a huge jump in in fan opinions. And uh, what's the overall score come up to be, Charles? Our overall score is an 8.6, which was 8. a 6, pretty cool. in the series. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, a um, couple of things I, I wanted to mention. I really like the flashback to Star Trek V with the shuttle crash. Um, yeah. We saw Sulu crash a shuttle into the, into the Enterprise shuttle bay without tractor beams. Well, guess what? We get to see Book do it again in this episode, except the damage is quite extensive. And I thought that was pretty cool. That was a a cool callback to Star Trek V, something that I noticed. So the first soundbite that I want to play for you guys is just called Apple. And I think you know what this one is. Hmm. It doesn't quite taste like the real thing, does it? I've never eaten a real apple. Well, how sad. Apples are a thing of beauty. If you want to talk about oppression, you should start in your own mess hall. It's made of our shit, you know. That's the base material that we use in our replicators. We deconstruct it to the atomic level and then reform the atom. It's pretty good for shit. And we don't have to commit atrocities for it. Well, you're not being very diplomatic. And you're wasting my time. Are we negotiating or not? Fine. So a lot of people made a big deal about that. But personally, I was always under the assumption based on TNG when they they actually said on an episode of TNG that the replicator just reanimates matter and reuses it. I was under the assumption that everybody knew that, that human waste, they're not going to fly through space and stop at a toilet. I mean, wastewater and, you know, all the waste would be broken down at the subatomic level and reformed into something else. I always just assumed that that included human waste. So when he said it in the episode, I wasn't that shocked, but a lot of people seem to be. Did that, did that shock you, Eric, when he actually said that? Were you surprised or did you kind of know that already? No, I absolutely knew that. I mean, a spaceship is a closed system, and people stay on it for years and years and years, so the waste has to go somewhere, uh, and it all just kind of gets recycled. And plus, that's, I mean, these are simple things that we use even in architecture and building these days. So, yeah, I was not surprised at all. I thought it was kind of funny how he said it, uh, and it does kind of make you think about what it would be like to have never tasted a real apple. I mean, that's that's, you know. There could be a psychological impact to human beings uh, because of that. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. So something we have to talk about in this episode is the scientist whose name I can't remember, something with an O, 
or or it's Aurelio. Aurelio. That's it, Aurelio. Now, Charles, who plays Aurelio? By the way, you want to let our fans know? I forgot the details on him, but I know he's played other roles in Star Trek. Kenneth Mitchell. But but the yeah, Kenneth Mitchell, who played Cole. Cole Shaw and Tet Penevik of Klingons on in Discovery, and here he plays kind of himself. And when I say kind of himself, he he's a character in a wheelchair, but the actual character himself, the actual actor Ken Mitchell, is suffering from ALS. And if you watched, uh, well, Charles, why don't you tell him the rest of the story? Ready room. The ready well, room, right? He's- He's got it. He can stand, but he can only stand for a short amount of time. And for an extended amount of time, he needs to have access to his wheelchair. And Craig wanted him when he realized the situation. He said, "Why don't we create a special chair just for you?" And this is a bit of a dedication to talk about those that are in some way disabled or handicapped and saying is that in the future we always say, oh, all these all these things are cured. No, we have a case where this situation's not cured, and yet let's promote it instead of shaming it. Let's go ahead and they create a special chair, and it's a fun, great chair. I love what they did with it. But they definitely made special accommodations to bring him on the show and adding extra power to Star Trek and letting people that are different still have their individuality. And uh, Kenneth Mitchell sent out a tweet to all the fans of Star Trek Discovery. You guys, I don't know if you remember, but um, I think it was in season one, we saw a Discovery crewman in a wheelchair in the background and a lot of fans gave that flack because well why they could cure that in the future why would they be in a wheelchair blah 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 blah. i think that was mostly the haters looking for a reason to justify their hate and discrimination but in this particular case kenneth mitchell is really in a wheelchair he really is suffering from als and they put him on the show and i think it's great to have inclusion of everybody and kenneth mitchell sent out a tweet all the Star Trek fans that said, my gosh, thanks for the warm reception for Aurelio. The special collaboration with the Discovery family injected me with love and inspiration while I battled my illness. A reminder that regardless of one's disabilities, there is always possibilities and hope. And I think that's what Star Trek is all about. So without any further ado, I want to play for you that clip with Aurelio and Stamets, and I'm just going to call it Scientist. Something's wrong. Well, the regulators are well-trained. They will get it sorted. She's hijacked the ship. You know this, don't you? We will return the ship as soon as our work here is done. She's taken hostages. I'm a hostage. Osira is negotiating a way to bring the spore drive to the entire galaxy. You may not like her methods, but she is more than you're making her out to be. Look at me, Mr. Stamets. 
I should not be here. Maybe in your time when technology was free and travel was easy, but here, in my time, with a genetic defect. My parents worked at the exchange. They asked Ozaira for a meeting. She did not have to say yes, but she did. I was 10, didn't have much time left, but she saw potential in me. And now, I am a scientist. I have a family. And I've been supported and elect dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge. She has given me everything, not just me. I've also seen evidence of the science she supports. A pesticide on Quajon. Yes, that, that is a perfect example. I was the junior scientist when they perfected that. We have transformed entire planets. She forced Quajon to participate in the extinction of one of their species to get that pesticide. Oh, that must be an overstatement. She threatened them with famine, the death of millions, children. My friend Michael barely escaped one of her labor camps. I believe you when you say that she's more than she appears to be. But she's also exactly what she appears to be. Now, before we get to the meat and potatoes of this episode, I think that this was a Stamets episode all the way. Right down the line. Stamets has some of the most powerful scenes some of the most powerful conversations and points to make. And I just think that this was the Stamets episode by far. I also think that Aurelio prediction, I haven't watched tonight's episode, but I think that Aurelio is going to turn on Osiris, especially after she just brutally killed Wynn right in front of him. I think that he's seeing the ways of the chain versus the ways of the Federation. And I think he's going to turn on her and rescue them. I yeah. just my prediction, I, I think. But totally that scene with, with Stamets. There was another one that I wanted to play for you guys, but I, I had to. I had so many I wanted to play. I had to cut it down just for time. But I really wanted to play the scene where he's talking about his family, and he actually refers to Adira as his daughter. And yeah. I thought that was a great. That was a powerful scene because it's going to set up a scene that I'm going to play for you guys next. And let's get it out of the way, and then we'll, we'll break it right down and tear right into it. This, I think, of scenes of, in this episode. This, the entire episode boils down to this. Out of here. It's an emergency escape field. I'm turning on the homing beacon. The HQ will see you and bring you in before Osira knows you're missing. Mike, memory full life. Look at me. They'll die a terrible, painful death. Damn it, Michael, look at me. Osira will destroy what is left of the Federation. She could hear them do it. No, 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 we, we have time. Right now, you and me, let's go. We have time. What are you doing? No. No. We came to the future for you. We followed you. You followed you. 
We gave up everything so you wouldn't have to be here alone. How can you do this? I'm sorry. My God! You know, even listening to that now, I, I get goosebumps because Anthony Rapp is such an incredible – he just – he nailed that scene, just absolutely nailed that scene. You can mm-hmm. hear the emotion. You could feel the emotion. And um, I, I really wanted to play the scene before that too, but I couldn't play them all. Anthony Rapp was spot on perfect in this episode. He shined like a penny, and uh, his relationship with Hugh, his relationship with Adira, um, his desire to save his family, everything was perfect. I mean, Jonathan Frakes, I, he's the man. Oh, I mean, um, I can't say enough. I, this, this, this whole uh, thing with Stamets and Hugh and Adira I think is great. It just makes the show, it gives the show a whole new level that wasn't there before. Spectacular. I just can't say. And well, what did you think about it, Charles? Did you think Stamets was, do you think Michael did the right thing in this case? I think she's, I think she, what she's doing is she's trying to give, trying to take advantage away from Osiris. They're not going to be able to escape with just a warp engine. That I think we're trying to take a little bit away from Osiris because you can't use the jump. And I think with what other crew members are doing, I think we're on our way of sitting there taking discovery back. Now, Eric, let me ask you this. Do you... Do you think do you think that Michael is doing something that she herself would not have done previously? Because Michael has gone off on rogue missions many, many, many times uh, against orders. And do you think that her doing this and not if it, if it was reversed, do you think she would have jumped to save Book? And that she's 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 acting against her own nature in this scene, or do you think she actually did what what? made a hard choice that a commander would have to make. I actually think that's one of the most special things about this scene. It's not only that you feel how, how much love Stamets has for his family and how he's willing to kind of throw away to save them, but this scene's really about Michael too. And it's about Michael finally not doing what Michael would normally do, right? Michael would normally go rogue would normally kind of go off and do something that her commanders told her not to do. She might put the needs of the one ahead of the needs of the many. And in this case, she absolutely did the right thing. She recognized that Stamets was in a emotional tailspin and that he was not making rational decisions. I mean, you hear him in that scene. He's like, we've got time. We can still do it. Let's do it. Um, and she has grown a lot. I think over this season, the year alone with book, I think had her, um, you know, taught her a lot and, and caused her to grow. And so I do think that it's a different Michael making a different decision. Um, and it's because of all of the things that she, it's because of all the bad decisions we have seen her make that she now can recognize one being made and kind of shut it down. So yeah, kudos to her. This scene was just, 
Anthony Rapp was so good. You could hear, like you were saying, the emotion. But, but this scene was also all about Michael Herbergrove. To the last episode, or two episodes, two episodes ago, when Giorgio, before she steps through the Guardian and tells her, Michael, you have what it takes to be a captain. You, yeah. Saru's not the only one that can sit in that chair. And I, and I think that hearing that from Giorgio, I think helped switch a switch on in Michael that maybe was dormant for a while. And I yeah. think that on the planet with Sukal, when she says, you know, she tells Saru, you need to stay here. You know, I need to go and I will support Tilly. She did the right thing. She made the hard decision and did it. And um, I just think that we're seeing the, the growth of her character happening right before our eyes. Very much like we did when we saw Saru earn the captaincy of the discovery. I think we're seeing Michael make that same advancement. Well, and I think that's an excellent comparison because I actually feel like the big loser in these two episodes is maybe um, Saru. I mean, in some ways he was a winner because he got to reconnect with his culture by, uh, you know, finding Sukal, finding the, the holographic elder, that sort of thing. So he was able to get a little flavor of home, but look at him now. He's, He's not, he's not in command of the Discovery. Tilly is. And granted, he can still become commander again or captain again when he comes back. But we've seen him start to not be able to make really good decisions around this after all the growth that he has gone through. So, I don't know. In my opinion, they sort of, like, had to take a little bit of a step back in terms of his Starfleet growth. But in some ways, that was okay because it did make way for Tilly. So. And and also Michael mentions this book at the beginning of the episode. Uh, she says she's worried about Saru because he's emotionally compromised. Yeah. And I think and the Admiral mentions it. Yeah. yeah. He, the Admiral mentions it to him too. Uh, when he's, when he's replaying the hologram of the pregnant uh, Kelpian, you can see that he's shaken. So yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of dynamics going on and that's what I love about discovery there's so many it's like an onion there's so many layers to unpeel there's so yeah. much hiding inside of it I love it so um, let's see what else I think was there anything else I wanted to talk was there anything else you guys wanted to bring up before we score the episode well, look at the uh, computer the cold, the we didn't uh, talk about the dog oh. yet computer Putting yeah. Into um, the, uh, the, the dots. Maintenance box. Yeah. Yeah. So in the beginning credits, there's a, about a, a four or five second scene that shows a whole row of dots. And you're like, why, why are they in the opening credits? We, well, guess what? They're going to save the day. The dots have become the sphere data. Something else I want to mention too, in the opening credits, we, we see the Vulcan live long and prosper symbol and there's no Vulcans. Who did Michael call when she got to the trans, when she got a communicator, she called her mother. On Navarre, yep. And her mother's on Navarre with the Vulcans slash Romulans who wanted to come back to the Federation. And is it possible that the Romulan slash Vulcan fleet is going to come to their aid? To, in tonight's episode, maybe along with I think an, I, 
And an, oh. an important question to me, Jim, is does the red dot die? Because <laughs> there's a red one, a blue one, and a gold one. <laughs> That's <laughs> you're right. You're right. Does the red dot die? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh. Uh, there, there's so much. There's just so much that I can't wait to see to find out about tonight. But I personally think that Jonathan Frakes nailed this episode. Nailed it. Now, I don't think so far that this three-episode arc is, is nearly as powerful as the two-parter that ended last season. That, that's my favorite one so far. But, but this particular episode, man, I, I, I think, wow, I think I'm going to go with a 9.3 on this episode. I really enjoyed yeah. it. I would say this was a really, really strong episode. Um, it's not my absolute favorite one of the season, but it is right up there. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a, I'll give it an 8.9, 8.9. And how about you, Charles? I'll go in the middle of right about a nine. A nine? Yeah, this way. And you know what? A little worse, but definitely. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's hard to grade. I mean, but this is like the middle. We still have to see that the finale to determine how these three episodes interlock together. So yeah. once I see tonight's episode, I might have a better idea of how to score the entire arc of this of these three. But so far, this episode was really good. Jonathan Frakes nailed it. I was very, very happy with it. And yeah, Stamets stole the show. So well, we still don't know what's going on I'll with Adira. She's on the planet. I'll, so. mm-hmm. I'll definitely say with uh, Leslie and her case, there are a lot of parts, and there's not an A. There's an A, a B, a C, a D, an E. Quite a few different stories we're combining, and we've got to all tie up at the night. And, and something about Discovery, too, which I think is different than, than any other Star Trek, is that we don't see episode titles at the beginning of the show. So when you watch an episode, unless you're watching it on CBS or, or you know, you're picking the episode where you see the title before you choose it, you don't know what the, what the title of the episode is. It's not like TOS or TNG when the episode starts and it says the emissary or the offspring. Oh, that's the one I'm watching. And then you move on to the next episode. The discovery in Picard is, is a little different where the entire season is a giant arc. And it's like reading a book and picking out your favorite chapters in a book. So after we see tomorrow's ep- or tonight's episode, um, we can judge the entire season when we know where it's going. And that'll be, that'll be interesting to do. So that wraps up our show, guys. Can you believe it? Wow. It was good. And I have to say, I, I have to say thank you so much to Eric for that awesome theme song. I, I love it. Thank you very much for all that hard work on that, Eric. And thank you for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. You bet. I had a blast guys. Thanks again. It was fun. And of course, Charles, thank you for hanging out and Trek talking with us as well. And thank you for our new, our new news intro it's much better than beep, 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 beep. <laughs> so thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. I can't wait for our commercials to start coming out. 
you, this is this is a group effort here. And uh, definitely thank you to each and every one of you guys listening, whether you're in the United States or whether you're abroad. We really appreciate your support, and we're very happy to have you along with us on this ride. We could not and would not ever dream of doing the show without you guys. And just remember, we do have a phone number here, 646-668-2433. We would love to hear from you guys. And please visit us on our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond Spelled Out, and say hello. We love to hear from you guys. We love to interact with you guys. And one more thing before we go, you guys can tune in to Stunt Tracks with myself and the one and only Leslie Hoffman on Sunday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And Leslie shares stories about acting on various TV shows, including Star Trek, working with Ricardo Montalban, Leslie Nielsen, Planet of the Apes. You never know where the conversation is going to meander when Leslie and I start gabbing. So you guys can tune in to that. Please do. And that's it. That's it for tonight. I want to say Happy New Year to everybody. Let's hope that 2021 turns out much, much better than 2020. I'm your Uncle Jim. Thank you for joining me on behalf of our Trek Talking crew. Please stay safe. Be good to each other. Good night, everybody. Good night, y'all. Live long and prosper. Failing frequencies are closed. Let's see what's out there. Engage. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.